Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Anything But Footy, your weekly podcast dose of all things Olympic and Paralympic. And on the podcast this week, sailing, golf, tennis, rowing, cycling, and curling. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us all the normal ways on Twitter, Anything But F, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. Make sure you like us, share us on iTunes, on Spotify, your normal podcast provider. And on this week's podcast, we'll be talking funding, legacy, bidding, innovation, and happiness. I'm Michael. John, are you happy? Always happy speaking to you, Michael. (laughs) Yes, we're talking happiness later on in the podcast. But let's start on the ocean waves, literally starting with sailing. And what a fantastic week, a fantastic regatta for British sailing. They've been in Palma, Mallorca this week at the Princess Sophia Trophy. Now, they've topped the medal table with eight medals over the course of the week-long regatta, and this is the start of their Tokyo qualification process, part of their Olympic trials. And we have to say congratulations to my favourite Olympian, (laughs) Hannah Mills. She's won a gold in the 470 class with Ailey McIntyre. Remember, in 2012 and 2016, she won medals in the 470 class with Saskia Clark. Gold, of course, in Brazil. Congratulations as well to Stuart Bithill and Dylan Fletcher, also gold medal winners in the 470 class. But as we are heading towards that Tokyo qualification process and we get closer and closer to another one of those big landmarks, which I guess the next one, John, will be the one year to go. This is good news for British sailing. They're in pretty good shape as we head to the next Olympic Games. Yeah, last time we talked about how they tidied up the beaches in Mallorca. Now we can report they cleaned up in the racing. (laughs) Very good. Thank like you. It. I like it. So, yeah, they top the medal table, as you say, two golds, two silvers, four bronze. And, you know, this is a f- the, the big meeting, the first big meeting, as you say, for qualification ahead of Tokyo 2020. And, and to be honest, I think the conditions in Mallorca, you kind of expect it to be, you know, sunshine, 30 degrees, 
bit of sangria um, on the on the curbside on the on the on the dock when you come in. No, it was a stormy Saturday, sixteen to twenty four knots, southwesterly winds. Some of the medal races didn't take place on the final day. So, as you rightly say, what an amazing performance uh, from our British sailors, and really in a, in good shape. You know, what were we, are we eighteen months away uh, from Tokyo twenty twenty? And Hannah Mills, you know, I know you'll tell your story about Hannah in a moment, but you know, she won uh, those medal race. In in, in testing conditions, um, she they 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 could have finished third, but they didn't. They went there and they won that gold medal in that medal race. And Mill said afterwards, "I've never won in Parma, so I'm really pleased with the consistency." And a couple of other names that really leap out at me as well: Stuart Bithell, who won silver in London 2012, missed out on going to Rio uh, as well with 2016 Olympian Dylan Fletcher. They won gold when the medal race was cancelled in the 49er. But what they did, Michael, was they beat the New Zealand gold medalists from Rio and they won with a day to spare. And that is it's a bit like being Manchester City, isn't it? And just knowing that you're going to win every game. Always nice to enjoy the final day. Fletcher described it as amazing. And then there was pressure on Giles Scott as well. And I think this is someone who I remember very well in Rio. And we had, you know, the the opportunity to interview him both before the Olympics and afterwards when he won and became Olympic champion. He won a silver in the Finn class um, in these uh, in these championships in Mallorca. And he won four out of the 11 races that he raced. And he just missed out on top spot by two points. But this is the guy who replaced Sir Ben Ainsley in the Finn Cup. I mean, you know, this is this is tough going. He, he replaced Sir Ben Ainsley in Rio. He's been in the America's Cup since Rio and doing something a little bit different on some of the bigger boats. And he said afterwards, I've sailed well at the end of the week. I'm pleased with how it's going. And that probably sums up British sailing, I reckon, Michael, at the moment. Pleased with yeah, how I- it's going. I think Giles Scott probably should get a gold medal for being the most patient Olympian in the world because, (laughs) obviously, Team GB were only able to send one Finn sailor, and for so long it was Ben Ainsley. He won a silver at his first Olympics, went on, obviously, to win multiple gold medals, and it was only then when Ben Ainsley stepped down to concentrate on that America's Cup bid where he came pretty close in Bermuda that Giles Scott then got his chance, And, and what a chance and what a way that he took it by winning gold in Rio. I think the America's Cup, just as an aside, is probably the last sort of major sporting event that we probably need to win as far as Great yeah. Britain are concerned in modern times. Did it with the Davis Cup, you know, waited a long, long time for the Davis Cup. But I think the America's Cup and Ben Ainsley's probably the last sort of bastion to fall in in modern sport. That, as I said, is an aside. We're looking forward to Tokyo 2020. And what should be, and unfortunately uh, the sailing is, is quite a way away from Tokyo, so I'm not sure we'll get to see much of it if we're out there although having said that marina del glorio which was the sailing venue in rio de janeiro that wasn't exactly close to the city center either but what a marvelous journey to get there john <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right it was about 50 minutes wasn't it in the in the coach and not and f- quite long enough <laughs> and frankly it was one of the highlights of rio 2016 now some journalists sadly rate the olympics on how good the food is <laughs> and how good of you know I, I i think there's a top 10 of the premier league in football that we don't talk about of the best food that's served by journal and and that's how journalists rate uh, football clubs but 
This sailing coach that we went on, as you say, in Rio de Janeiro, was absolutely pure luxury. It had reclining <laughs> seats. I mean, there was an amazing... I think the first time we went, we looked out the window for the first 20 minutes, and then we realised we're wasting our time here because actually we could be catching up on sleep. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, that, and that was the point. You could have a 50-minute kip all the way to the sailing, and it was absolutely incredible. And we went a few times. The regatta obviously lasts more than a week. So obviously we went for the first day, and that's where we discovered this amazing coach. And there were several more medal days that we turned up for as well. And I think we congregated on a grassy knoll uh, was the phrase that everybody used. Yes, we'll see you on the grassy knoll outside. Now, we've explained in our podcast, Anything But Footy, uh, numerous times about the glamour that we have uh, covering these events, you know, interviews over barriers by the bin store at the uh, hockey Olympic final. I was up at three thirty in the morning every morning talking to Nick Ferrari with a towel over my head in my hotel room because I was broadcasting and didn't want to wake my neighbours up. And also I needed the surround to not be as echoey. And I can remember on a coach going to the Olympic hockey final recording Nick Skelton's gold medal and all, you know, these Germans looking at me and these Dutch looking at me going, what are you doing uh, sitting on the coach? So, Frankly, the Rio 2016 coach to the sailing was one of the highlights of those Olympic Games for me. Yeah, I totally agree. We've both got small children. I've never slept better or deeper than I have on that coach to the sailing (laughs) venue. Because like you, I was getting up for all hours of the day and night to do my bits of broadcasting back to the UK. The time difference in Rio is not great. It's a four-hour time difference. So, you know, middle of the night in Rio is breakfast radio time in the UK. So, yeah, like you say, half three alarm calls. But, well, that bus to sailing. When you get that notification in the morning, oh, the weather's not too good today. It's unlikely there'll be any sailing today. I'd be the first one to stick my hand up and go, I don't mind going to check. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll head down there. I'll head down there just in case, just in case. Let's stay on the water. Go on. Mm. Now, all I was going to say was, I think it's a shame in Tokyo that it's going to be uh, a way away because I felt in London 2012, I mean, I never went to Weymouth. I never no. really felt part of what was going on there. And obviously, Sir Ben Ainsley won that gold, historic gold medal, and it just felt so far removed. And I think that will be a shame. And just talking of Weymouth, they are staging the 2019 49er, 49er FX and NACRA 17 European Championships in May this year. It's one of the highlights of the sailing calendar, and it's the first time the Olympic circuit has come to the UK since 2016. So that takes place from May the 10th to the 19th, if anyone fancies going along to Weymouth. Maybe we should. Yeah, I think, why not? Let's go down to the sailing if we can get the right sort of coach or or bus to take us there. (laughs) Um, Just saying, obviously, on the water, one news line that's come out of that event, one person sailing event is, uh, one person sailing events are under threat for Paris 2024, so we're told. The laser class are having a bit of a row about this. That's escalated this week during this event. I'm sure they'll sort it out. Uh, but as I said, just a little bit of a news line today, which has been breaking before we record the podcast. And say, staying on the water, but moving away from sailing, the boat race, the university boat race. Cambridge have won both the men's and the women's boat race. All the attention in the build-up, of course, was all about Cambridge crew member James Cracknell, who at the age of 254 was the oldest member of a boat race crew, the men's 165th boat race. Uh, James Cracknell, part of that winning crew, says he's had no regrets at any stage of the training, has basically said he felt 20 years younger. It's back-to-back victories for Cambridge. Uh, the women as well have won their 44th victory compared to Oxford's 30. 
just 15 seconds outside the women's record. It's an event I know that you've covered extensively on the radio before. Mm. Is it still relevant? Does it still deserve a place on BBC One on a Sunday afternoon? It's a, it's a really good question. It's a really good question because I am slightly biased to it because, as you say, I covered it for five years on the towpath, as the joke was, usually at six o'clock in the morning, uh, trying to build up to these big races. And I thought today's was a good race because, you know, they clashed doors at the start in the men's race. Between... Love a bit of drama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Between Oxford and Cambridge. Cambridge were really pushing the line that Oxford were trying to hold because uh, Oxford had the Middlesex side and Cambridge the Surrey side, which gave them the advantage over the, over the Big Ben. And 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 a big bend and Cambridge, you know, they'd won the two reserve matches. They won the women's race, as you say, as well. Uh, and for the second year running, they've won all four races, and they are dominating at the moment. This is the 165th race. But frankly, by three or four minutes in, Michael, it was all over. And I, I, even with the clashing of oars, and I think. That is the slight issue uh, going forward. And, w- and we talked about this on a previous edition of Anything But Footy, um, you know, where we, we big up the Olympic and, and Paralympic sports. But this was all about James Cracknell. And there has been a bit of stick uh, on social media about, well, let me interview this person before I ask you anything about how you've done and how you've performed. What's it like being with James Cracknell? How was it with him? And obviously Matthew Pinson, you know, uh, who, who we said, you know, um, Cracknell had won his two Olympic golds with six world titles as well. You know, he he did the interview with him afterwards and, you know, it was great to see them. But it's all about one man. And, uh, you know, Mm. and, and I'm not sure the boat race is all about one man. And he has done an incredible thing. 46 years old, the oldest ever rower to 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 take part and then win the race as well. And, you know, and, 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 and also, you know, an incredible performance. You know, we now know that he's split from his wife, Beverly Turner, uh, that was announced in the last few weeks as well. So everything that's been going on in his personal life and everything he's been through, it is an incredible achievement. But there has been some stick. Every question was about Cracknell. And I just wonder whether, from a BBC point of view, which, you know, I'm not not criticising their their coverage of it because they want people to be interested in it. They've paid for people to to watch it. And 10 million people watch the Grand National on ITV. And I thought, you know, that was an amazing uh, performance, um, you know, and, and the horse, you know, equaling... The, the achievements of Red Rum with with back to back victories and 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 that story sells itself. I'm not sure that Cambridge winning again in the men's race and again in the women's race for three years on the trot is enough to keep selling the boat race story. That would be my slight question mark as we move forward. Briefly, though, I mean, in the same way that we watch Ski Sunday, basically to watch skiers crash through paper fences are we not watching the boat race in the hope that we see a crew sink yeah potentially and of course you know it's famously happened and and has happened a couple of times there's been a dead heat in uh, in the 165th uh, you know races of these of these events so yes i think we are and it and it still will have a, a part and we've talked about this we've talked about the marathon the grand national you know april feels like a, and the fa cup semi-finals april feels like a big month in the world of sport and it always has been since we were growing up and that continues I'm just not sure that the boat race itself um, has the, the the storytelling unless you put someone like James Cracknell into the race to really, you know, reach out to the masses. And, 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 and that's always going to be the uh, always going to be the issue. But look, if it's on BBC One, people will watch it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because... I just think 
I just think if I was a fan of, say, a Super League club and I was seeing the BBC put the Varsity Boat Race on the Varsity Rugby Union match at Twickenham, which they broadcast every year, I'd be thinking, well, why not more coverage for, for Super League or why not you know, better coverage, improved coverage for the Challenge Cup? for example, yep. you know, and, and I, I just sort of feel that for a lot of people, the, the elitist nature of the boat race perhaps is a little bit of a turnoff on a Sunday afternoon for them. That, and that's a that's a fair point. And I think it's interesting. We were talking about how British sailing is in a good place ahead of Tokyo 2020 at the moment. I'm not sure uh, British rowing is particularly. And if you've got the likes of James Cracknell coming back 20 years after, uh, you know, he's won a gold medal in, in Sydney in 2000. Um, you know, they've got their uh, trials taking place at the Redgrave Pinsent Rowing Lake in Caversham uh, over the Easter weekend, 20th and 21st of April. And we'll see the best rowers from across the UK battle it out for selection for the squad for the 2019 season which of course leaves into Tokyo next year I think that rowing needs to get some big names and some big stars who are winning races and winning them like we saw in the past to try and then you know show that yes there is this desire and this future uh, in the sport and it will be interesting to see whether that occurs over the next few weeks and if the medals don't come in rowing they could come in sport climbing John Yes, so rock climbing, or as it's known as bouldering, which is apparently the, the term that I've learned today for the first time. It's a new sport <laughs> for Tokyo 2020, and Great Britain has a really good chance of meddling in this, particularly Shauna Coxie, uh, who is uh, the World Cup champion from 2016 and 2017. She's had um, a tendon injury in her finger for the past year. She returned to action uh, in the first IFSC, which is the International Federation of Sport Climbing World Cup event uh, of the year in Switzerland. And she got a bronze medal behind Slovenia and Japan, uh, who are first and second. She's a 26-year-old from Runcorn. She's a professional rock climber. Um, who knew such a thing? But there is such a thing. And as I say, she's a, a World Cup champion uh, from a couple of years ago. And uh, well done to her. Um, and what we want to see is more of this heading into Tokyo uh, 2020. In the men's event, Nathan Phillips was 19th. And William Bosey uh, was 29th as well in the men's event. And they reckon he's one of the biggest prospects in the climbing world. Most notably, fourth place at the World Youth Championships in Innsbruck last year. Or in 2017, I should say. And a fifth place finish at the 2018 World Cup in Chaminar as well. So uh, well done to those. Some names that maybe you've never heard of that we've told you about here on Anything But Footy and worth looking ahead to Tokyo 2020. And talking of names that maybe you've never heard of, uh, you mentioned William Bosey. He's been in receipt of the new solidarity funding which has been announced this week. This is basically an IOC initiative. They get together with the BOA or Team GB to give them their brand. And this solidarity fund is basically a grant for athletes which is given to them through their national governing bodies. And it supports athletes that maybe aren't in receipt of UK sport funding that we've talked about at length. William Bosey, the uh, boulderer, has got some of that as he heads towards Tokyo 2020. We've spoken in a previous podcast about Richard Cruz being the world number one fencer. Another fencer, a European medalist, a Rio 2016 competitor, James Andrew Davis, also in receipt of this funding. A couple of table tennis players, Liam Pitchford and Paul Drinkle. Paul Drinkle making a bit of British history in Rio when he reached the last 16. Both of those Commonwealth Games medalists. Also funding going to Charlotte Hope in karate, Bryony Pittman in archery, a couple of artistic swimmers, synchro swimming as we used to know it, and Chris Langridge in badminton as well. He won a bronze medal in Rio, and we spoke last time 
didn't we, that even though he won that bronze medal, didn't guarantee UK sport funding, but he has picked up some funding in this new Solidarity Fund. And it's the same week as well when a group of German athletes have called on the IOC for increased representation and to be given a bigger share of revenue. And basically, this is all about improving athlete rights. $540 million was the gross revenue of the last Olympic Games in Rio, the last Summer Olympic Games, I should say, which was distributed to international federations. But how much of that actually filters down to the athletes? Well, not enough, say this group of German athletes. They're looking for a bigger slice of the pie. One of the ways of potentially doing that is by a change to the IOC Rule 40.3, which basically says you can't advertise anything during the game. So if you're an athlete with a boot deal, a shoe deal, a cap deal or whatever, you can't promote your own personal brands during the Olympic Games. There's a complete blanket ban on that. People like Tom Daly in the Commonwealth Games situation a year ago nearly got into a bit of trouble when he was recording some of his own sort of personal YouTube videos, for example, uh, because he was wearing some of his own kit. Is Rule 40.3 an outdated thing in this modern day and age? And should these athletes, the people like Paul Drinkle, Liam Pitchford, who have maybe got this two-week window every four years to promote themselves, should they be given a better opportunity to do so? Yeah, look, I think on the solidarity programme, well done to the IOC for giving out this money. They get a lot of stick, as you rightly say. Sponsors, tickets, cost of staging games, drug cheats, etc., etc. You name it, it's thrown at the Olympics. But we forget some of the good work that they do allow to allow athletes to achieve their aims and goals. And you've list, you know, some of the British people who will hopefully be benefiting from that money. But you're absolutely right as well. And the, and the German Athletic Federation are absolutely right to say, look, we need to get more money for our athletes they should be benefiting from these Olympic Games rather than just the IOC or the event organisers, etc, etc. The athletes are the stars. Ultimately, they are the people that people are going to see. That's the th- Apart from the coach in Rio to the sailing, that's, you know, <laughs> we talk about what happened in Rio, about the Olympic gold medalists, about the silver medalists, the people who just scrape a bronze when you expect them to only get fourth or fifth. And that's what we should be looking at. And the IOC need to be really careful and we've talked about this in previous editions of anything but footy on you know about the swimming and how they need to make sure that the stars like Adam Peaty are getting rewarded for what they are doing on a weekly and monthly basis the Olympics need to make sure that these athletes get the rewards when they perform and they break people's hearts or they make people's hearts as well with the excitement that happens uh, during those every four years in the summer games and every four years in the winter games. And you know that athlete welfare is something that I'm very interested in. And I think this week the news that Pete Kenner, who was a 2012 gold medalist with Ed Clancy, Geraint Thomas and Stephen Burke, has decided to take a break from international cycling due to some mental health issues. He will now not ride in the Giro d'Italia. And his statement, I think, was pretty heartbreaking, to be honest. Mm. Um, that phrase, he wanted to to rediscover his happiness. If if $540 million is the gross revenue being distributed to international federations, surely some of that has to filter down to, to help the likes of Pete Kenner and others and that whole big picture of athlete welfare. Uh, let's move on, um, aside from that, to talk a little bit about legacy. I think we're running a bit short of time, so um, do you want to hear my reminiscing? Um, on one year on from the Commonwealth Games <laughs> and the Gold Coast. No, did, no, you, let, did you go? 
Did you I, go? I did, yeah. Oh, there, okay. there, there's a fantastic legacy from that event, but it's it's maybe for a special edition, maybe a special four or five hour long edition. <laughs> um, five year anniversary event to the the reopening of the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in London. Uh, we're looking forward to a pop up concert. Also got some East uh, London youngsters who are taking a trip to the Smithsonian Institute in Washington D.C. Let me just run through some of these facts and stats about that Olympic Park. Twenty seven million people have visited the park since 2014, 560 acres of green space, eight permanent venues, 4,300 new trees, six and a half kilometres of walkways, 28 new artworks, four new schools, 100 major events, and by 2036, 33,000 new homes, and by 2025, 40,000 new jobs. That's legacy at work, isn't it? Yeah, and it was a watchword in 2012, wasn't it, Legacy? As you know, it was. It, it, it became like, what are we doing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we spending the nine point eight billion pound, nine point three billion pounds it cost to put the Olympics on? And where's the legacy on it? And actually, you can say, look, this this park. I call it my second home, Michael, because I, I've been there so many times. You mentioned the hundred major sporting events: Premier League football with West Ham, international rugby. I went there for the World Cup in 2015 and and saw New Zealand play, and they did the hacker in front of that amazing stadium there's been rugby league there's concerts there's athletics we're there you know doing the anniversary games and and we've seen the likes of Jess Ennis and Mo Farah go back there uh, and win medals and and compete and we saw the world athletics championships there's been the marathon there the ride London events the women's hockey world cup uh, as well you know just so many things and and week in week out there's boxing I think at the uh, the copper box as well you know yes it's not perfect um, you know, it's 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 not solved all the issues. Are West Ham paying too little for that Olympic Stadium on a monthly, yes. weekly basis? Yes, they yes. absolutely are. But it's yes. fi- but it's filled sixty thousand people week in, week out. There's people going to that park, as you say. Houses being built. Four schools have been built as well: the Chobham Academy, the Bobby Moore Academy, Senior and Junior, and the Mossbourne Riverside Academy. That just, you know, it was full of fridges, as Seb Coe would say. That site was full of fridges in in twenty in two thousand and seven and two thousand and five when we bid for the Olympics. And boy, oh boy, have we shown what can be done if we can make the right decisions. Not all of them have been right, but well done to the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. It is one of the places to go and see in London if you've never been. And I just wonder whether there is perhaps there an ambition for future bid cities because you have to wonder you know what will happen for example to those venues in rio you just can't see a similar outcome there for example let's finish as we always do with a bit of any other business olympic men's singles finals in tennis are being cut for tokyo 2020 no five sets to three that slightly devalues it doesn't it briefly I know you and Andy Murray are, are big pals in the same way that me and Justin Rose are. <laughs> yeah, me and Andy. Andy really. Murray announced, by the way, I'll just interrupt this, announced to the biggest press conference Rio hosted that he was basically a big fan of John on the radio. Uh, I don't I don't think it was quite that, but I, I, I'll take it. <laughs> it, but... it felt like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, could, yeah. He, he had to win five sets to win that in London 2012 and 2016. He retained those titles. Three sets is, is, is not long enough, as we know, in a tennis match, which is why Grand Slams are five sets, to really you know understand whether someone is dominating. It doesn't allow people to come back in the victory. So I think in the final, admittedly, all the other rounds are three sets. I think in the final it's slightly, slightly is is wrong to do that. But the only other issue is if he'd have done three sets in Rio, we maybe we would have interviewed him. Uh, but <laughs> he, of course, he was jumping on a plane straight away to go to his next event.
John at that press conference introduced himself, uh, John Cushing, and uh, then obviously announced uh, where he was, who he was working for. And Andy basically went, "Oh yeah, I listen to you every morning." Uh, <laughs> it's it was just fantastic. Uh, curling World Championships, the men's curling World Championships have been taking place. Scotland unfortunately lost in the quarterfinals to Canada. Uh, they were finalists with Sweden, and we'll finish with the Winter Olympics. Milan uh, are competing against Stockholm to try and host the 2026 Winter Olympics. Uh, Milan have very strong public support. They have government guarantees, which the Stockholm bid doesn't yet. The San Siro will probably be at the centre of the Winter Olympics if Milan get it. Stockholm will actually hold some sliding events in Latvia. Maybe that's the future for the Winter Olympics. They'll hold skiing uh, 600 kilometres away. And I'll finish with this. They will host some of the ski jumping and the Nordic combined events a seven-hour bus ride away. Let's bring those buses from Rio to Stockholm and give the Winter Olympics in 2026 to the Swedish bit. I tell you what, we'll be the age where we'll desperately need reclining seats by then. Seven-hour bus ride sounds fantastic. Don't forget, get in touch with us on Twitter, anything but F. Uh, We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram as well. Make sure you like us, share us, rate us on iTunes, on Spotify, or your normal podcast provider. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.